Baltimore's coming after you. You gotta get this ball out right away. The whole NFL is watching. A fourth and ten. And here they come. Make this pass. It's intercepted by Mosley. And the Ravens are gonna take the division. broken in Pittsburgh. Baker, you played amazing, but this number one defense in the league stood up, put the city of Baltimore on their back with the season on the line, and they blitzed them with everybody. Four straight plays, and they didn't do that in Kansas City, and I thought if this game came down to that, Baltimore's going down, they're going down swinging. And they stood up today when they needed it. Those words were music to the ears of Ravens fans as the team survived a valiant Browns comeback attempt led by the impressive Baker Mayfield. Hello and welcome into another edition of the Russell Street Report. I'm Tony Lombardi. After a 4-5 and five start to the season and losers of three straight, the Ravens have won 6-7 of seven to win the AFC North. Credit must go to the coaching staff for their ability to morph the entire identity of the team nine games into the season. The Ravens are just one miraculous pass by Patrick Mahomes from being winners of seven straight. Against the Browns, the Ravens rushed 47 times for an eye-popping 296 yards, a 6.3 yards per carry average. The Ravens possessed the ball for 38 minutes and 30 seconds. Now, they did this despite the Browns using Tyrod Taylor to lead their scout team during the week to prepare for Lamar Jackson. The Ravens' formula, it's working. How far it will take them remains to be seen, but there's little doubt that Lamar Jackson has energized an offense, a team, a franchise, and a city. Meanwhile, the Ravens' arch rival, the Pittsburgh Steelers, will be watching the playoffs at home to begin 2019. I'm certain that the quiet that ensued at Heinz Field following Mosley's interception brought a smile to faces of Ravens fans worldwide. Add it all up, and it spells a rematch with the L.A. Chargers on Sunday at 1 p.m. The Ravens were four-point dogs in L.A. against Phillip Rivers and company. This week, they will be two-and-a-half-point favorites at M&T Bank Stadium. The game promises to be a schematic chess match between the respective coaching staffs. For the Chargers, they will have to figure out the pick stunts of the Ravens' defensive front seven that paved the way to constant pressure on Rivers. Wink Martindale's unit did an excellent job of disguising these stunts. On defense, the Chargers will need to utilize their speed to keep Lamar inside the tackles and funnel personnel that way. For the Ravens, They will have to lean on brute force to neutralize the Chargers team speed while using the Chargers commitment to stop the run with well-timed play action passes. The Chargers have won six straight road games in 2018, and they are 7-1 away from home this season, including road wins against the Steelers, Chiefs, and Seahawks, all very hostile environments. Rookie Pro Bowl safety Derwin James had this to say about the Chargers' success as road warriors. We love coming into your place, whichever team you may be, and doing our thing. We come into your place ready to play. Our motto around here is any squad, any place. We'll take a quick timeout, and when we return in 30 seconds, we'll go inside the castle walls with Jeff Zarebeck of The Athletic. Don't go away. You're listening 
to the Russell Street Report. Why PMI? I get asked that question all the time and I love answering it. I've been leading this team for 16 years and PMI has been and remains an industry leader. We get all the support of an industry leader national company while managing our loan flow locally. Our realtor partners and our customers get a team committed to customer service. They also get a team that knows our local markets. We closed 2,300 loans last year and the future looks very, very bright. We love telling our story and would love to help you with your next transaction. Reach out to me or anyone on my team anytime. We'd love to help. Welcome back to the Russell Street Report. I'm Tony Lombardi and joining me now on the Mobile One Hotline, he's from The Athletic, Jeff Zrebeck. Welcome into the program. How are you, Jeff? Happy New Year to you. You too, Tony. Thanks for having me and uh, hope you had a good holiday and wishing you an early Happy New Year. You as well. And you have a, you had a new little one this year that you can play with on, on the Christmas holiday. Yeah, that kind of made it cooler. And, uh, you know, and he's also at the age where you don't really need to get him anything because he doesn't even realize, you know, he has more fun playing with wrapping paper than he'd have playing with any gift we could get him. So it's just kind of cool to see him just looking around and, uh, you, you know, uh, just having fun with whatever's laying around. Well, speaking of gifts, the Ravens gave the city of Baltimore a gift just yesterday because they now are, they made it to the postseason dance. They beat the Cleveland Browns 26 to 24 in a real nail biter down there at M&T Bank Stadium, Jeff. Your overall observations of the game? Yeah, it's funny, Tony. I, I you know, while they they were up, I guess it was 20 to seven. I think it was. Yes. And they're go, they're going on. They had a, the first and goal. And you know, you you would peep my some of my media brethren uh, in the press box were like, "This one's over." I mean, they just felt like you know, if they got to 27 seven right before half that the Browns who were, you know, were, pl were mo plenty motivated, but they didn't really have anything to play for beyond uh, finishing at 500. So uh, my media brethren were su suggesting it's over. And I just had this thought in the back of my head that this is just not how sports work. You, you just knew at some point this defense was going to have to make a stand to, to officially exercise its demons uh, from week 16 uh, in Pittsburgh two years ago, from week 17 at home against the Bengals last year. And it's just fun, so funny how it worked out. Uh, C.J. Mosley, of all people, making the big play when he's kind of been maligned late in games, especially, and I know he wasn't technically in coverage, but you know what I mean, in the past game. And, uh, you know, credit to the Ravens. I mean, they were 4-5. and five. Uh, I think what was the Steelers seven two and one at that point? Uh, that's a lot of games to make up, uh, and then when you throw in the whole fact of changing your offense on the fly behind a rookie quarterback, uh, you know I, it's a it's a pretty good accomplishment. I think people in Baltimore certainly realize these last couple of years uh, that playoffs aren't something to be taken for granted. So it was nice to see everybody celebrate. You could see the relief and the joy in the locker room of the Ravens. Uh, they got it done, but uh, their goal's never been to win divisions. It's been uh, to go beyond that. So uh, we'll see uh, what else they have for everybody here. But a uh, significant first step in what was billed all along as the season of great importance. Jeff, at the end of the Ravens' last possession, the pitch out to Ty Montgomery, I mean, that's a play that's been really criticized and questioned ever since it took place, particularly with the way they were just – successfully going right at these Cleveland Browns defense, just north and south running. 
Any feedback in the locker room on, on that particular play that you've heard of or any – because I've been hearing things that Greg Roman was furious with that play call. Yeah, you know, I haven't heard any of that yet. Today's kind of the more the – I mean, those these guys were so in the celebratory mood and – I didn't even stay for all of Harbaugh's press conference because I w- w- wanted to get to the locker room and kind of get some color from the locker room. Uh, so I wasn't exactly sure everything he was asked from the transcripts. It didn't seem like he was asked about the play calls much. I, I think that's probably a-, a good topic today when he's had a chance to kind of review the game. And I don't think he's going to throw Marty under the bus, but they got too cute uh, on a on a couple of uh, you know a couple of instances. Uh, yesterday, and and I think it, it almost cost them the game, and it certainly cost them late in the second quarter. Like, what are, what are you doing running Max Williams on a on a first and goal from the two yard line? Like, look, Max has busted his butt. I give him credit; he's become a really good blocker and 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 a very hard nosed, gritty player. And that was never his rap coming into the NFL. Uh, but the knee injury and stuff has kind of made him embrace that role. Uh, but he should not be carrying the ball. Like, I don't know what the hesitancy, hesitancy is at times just to give the ball to Gus Edwards, especially when you're in close. Uh, but I would have called that. Um, I don't think I don't know how you can call a pitch out play uh, with the risk involved there on an option. That was way too risky in that moment. And, uh, you know, it could have cost them. I, I, you know, I think at that point. Um, you know, it's, it's just a fine line, Tony. And I think we're seeing that in the red zone. Uh, it's a fine line between being aggressive with Lamar Jackson and and trying to keep things simple because teams are, you know, starting to load up inside and and you're seeing a lot of that. And I think this week's going to be a huge test because the Ravens did nothing in those last couple drives against the Chargers. It looked like they had a beat on what they were doing. So uh, it's going to be interesting how they game plan this week. They're going to have to throw some different things at the Chargers, I think, if they're going to be able to continually move the ball. But, uh, you know, it, it's just tough. I, I get the quandary uh, morning wags in. You don't want to take too many chances with, with Jackson. You, you, but – uh, you're going to have to do a little more at times, but that certainly wasn't the time for that. I, I mean, that was just head scratching. As I thought, the, the the goal line sequence in the second quarter was head scratching too. Jeff, could you see a situation if John is to remain on as the Ravens head coach? Could you see a situation where he has Greg Roman become the offensive coordinator? Yeah, I could, and I think that would be a pretty seamless transition. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a little careful there, Tony, you know, it was like, well, it may have been three years ago now, at least two where, you know, everything I heard Marty Morningweg was gone then. And I mentioned, he's not expected to be back. I didn't make a big headline out of it, but, uh, pro football talk kind of did. And, and, you know, NFL network reported it too. I, it was the biggest shocker to me that he was back when he was, and here we are a couple years later, he's still there. So it's clear. John is, is very loyal to Marty. Um, I think Morningweg does deserve some credit for how they've kind of adapted here um, as an offense. But if you're looking for a move that wouldn't, you know, I think we're going to hear a lot about stability for Jackson this off season and not wanting to kind of, you know, have it undergo all these changes, wanting him to get settled in with, with guys he knows. And that would be a pretty seamless way to still have that sub- stability. You know, Greg Roman, you know, is the run game designer. Um, so uh, he would seemingly be a good fit 
with a guy uh, with Lamar Jackson. I do think, and I think you probably agree with this, I think they need to go out and get somebody to kind of be a passing coordinator here, um, whether it's a young college coach, uh, you know, kind of a young offensive mind so they could be a little more dynamic here in the passing game with with Lamar Jackson. Uh, but I could definitely see a scenario uh, where, um, you know, Marty's not back and Greg Roman assumes the play caller duties, but that may be tough to do. I mean, Harbaugh's stuck by Morningweg this entire time. And, uh, you know, after they've kind of reinvented the, their offense, it, it may be tough to move away from them this offseason, at least in Harbaugh's mind. Uh, but we'll see. That's certainly going to be one of the pressing questions heading into the offseason. We're speaking with Jeff Zreback from The Athletic. He covers the Ravens. Now, Jeff, speaking of John, last Friday at 7 p.m., the news breaks that the Ravens are – into contract extension discussions with John. Got a little quieter this week. Nothing was really brought up except for the fact that Peter King wrote a story that he thought that John was going to play out 2019 as a lame duck coach and kind of roll the dice like Joe Flacco did during his final season. What are you hearing now, and can you see that playing out for the Ravens organization where John actually goes into 2019 without an extension? I could, you know, and... uh... I was surprised by that statement. Um, everything, my understanding, and maybe that's changed in the last 36 hours, but it hadn't as of late last week was there's really been no extension talks. I mean, I know Bishotti communicated to John that they want him as the coach going forward and told them they were putting out that statement. Um, but I think that statement was kind of a response to the noise, uh, for a lack of better expression, Tony. I think, A, Bishotti was sick of reading every week another headline about how Miami Dolphins could be interested in Harbaugh. Denver Broncos would love to hire John Harbaugh. The Cleveland Browns are going to have him on their their list. And this guy's under contract. So I think Bishotti was kind of sick of teams jockeying position for a coach that he has under contract. And that was sort of a preemptive move and just say, look, He's our guy. He's not going. We're, we, the John Harbaugh's our head coach. You know what I mean? I also don't. I, I also didn't think he's fair to John that he was going to have to be asked the question about his job security a lot in the final two weeks as the team prepared for playoff spot or tried to prepare uh, to make the playoffs. Excuse me. Um, and uh, I think it had kind of become pretty clear that Harbaugh was is the probably the best option out there for teams looking for a head coach. And and why move on from a guy? Uh, that's been a very successful head coach when uh, it's not a very impressive pool of candidates out there and it's going to be heavy competition. I mean, as we stand, there's eight job openings right now and that could grow. It's going to be tough to get the guy uh, that you may want. So um, that's what I thought about that. But I I don't going forward here. I hardly think it's a given, you know, I, I, I think, you know, John and Steve are going to have to sit down and they're going to have to decide if they can have common ground. I don't think John's just going to say, yeah, definitely. Uh, give me a three-year deal. Let's go. I, I think John's going to want some assurances. Um, there's the old issue with, you know, obviously the contract extension of Billick did not work out real well. So how many years will uh, John, uh, will Steve be willing to give John on this extension? So, and, and, all you know, I've said this several times. Nobody's asking what does John want. We're all asking what does Steve and the Ravens want. Now, this isn't necessarily all about John, but 
Maybe, you know, his daughter's going to college this year. Maybe he feels like after 11 years, you know, it would be great for a fresh start. Maybe me and the organization would benefit from a little shot in the arm and, and, and doing things fresh. And may, maybe one of these opportunities where a team's going to uh, be willing to give me a ton of years and a ton of money and maybe some personnel uh, power, uh, maybe that's a better situation than what I have with the Ravens going forward. You know, so many of these people – that have been with the Ravens during Harbaugh's time uh, could be moving on this this offseason. Suggs and some of his favorites like Yonda and Weddle and Mosley, you know the list. So, uh, you know, this, this could be an opportunity for a fresh start with both, but they're going to have to figure that out. They're going to have to sit down and try to find common ground here. I, I do think in a perfect world the both would like to make it work, but it's definitely a situation that bears watching. I mean, there's too much smoke there to, to think this is a formality that they're just going to sit down, hammer out a three- or four-year extension, and, and, and Harbaugh is going to be in place. And there will be – I keep hearing it, Tony. There's teams that want him, and I think teams will make them an offer uh, for Harbaugh in a, in a trade scenario. I don't know what that offer is going to be. Uh, I think the Ravens, how long they're in the playoffs, may, may have a factor in that because teams get – you know, antsy. They want their head coach. So we'll see. So a long playoff run kind of may limit the Ravens options here, but we'll see. I think there's a story there to still be told. What do you think that John could bring in a trade? And if you were Steve Bishotti and Eric DaCosta, what's the offer that would like, you know, get your attention to say, we should probably do this deal. Yeah. I mean, it's and I know your guy, uh, uh, Brian McFarlane does a great job. Uh, I know he talked about how, you know, the Gruden deal and all the, the bucks gave up for the Raiders was kind of, is kind of an outlier. I mean, you're more talking about a, a middle round pick, maybe a second round pick. Uh, Unless you have a guy, Tony, that you really like and a guy that you think is a future star in coaching and you're confident you, you can get, I'm not giving away John Harbaugh for a second round pick. I, I'm just not doing it. Um, I, I think he's a, you know, I, I don't think John's perfect by any means, uh, but I think he's a, he's a darn good football coach. And I think the interest of teams around the market suggests that. So, uh, you know, and I'm not even making a joke about the Ravens issues in the second round, but I, I'm going to need a little more than a second round pick. You know, if a team's willing to talk about a, a number one and, and, you know, these most of these teams looking for coaches are picking pretty early in that first round, uh, whether it's a future number one or maybe a, a couple of draft picks or maybe it's a proven player. Uh, you know, again, this is all speculation, uh, but there's enough interest and there will be enough, there would be pretty competitive if the Ravens wanted to kind of have a bidding war with a coach they had under contract. Uh, but here's the thing. Harbaugh is, you know, he's, he, would he want to go to Tampa Bay? You know, Tampa Bay seems like a logical, they've traded for a coach before. Uh, everyone says they want to, they're big name hunting out in Tampa Bay. They want a big name. Harbaugh may be the biggest on the market if he is indeed available. Uh, you know, but would Harbaugh want to sign an extension with Tampa Bay when they have really no quarterback of the future and they'd probably have to give the Ravens some of their draft picks or a good draft pick to come get him? I don't know that he'd like that situation. John's been very quiet. He's not made this about himself. Uh, but if I'm Eric and, and Steve, I I think you have to listen. I think, you, you, you know, um, but I also think you have to have a good idea on where you'd pivot 
um, to, to your next head coach because you're going to have to move quickly. This is going to be a really competitive head coaching marketplace. Uh, but if you're asking me, uh, I would think, I, you know, if someone starts mentioning a first-round pick, I, I, my ears would certainly perk up. Yeah, that would be hard to kind of turn down, particularly like if you've got a guy like Greg Roman on your staff who could step in, and not even giving him the tag of interim, but he's had some head coaching experience. He's been around the league for a while. He's a good guy for Lamar Jackson, as we mentioned before, be kind of seamless. And maybe he only works out for a year, but at least you get that first-round pick. So I think if a first-round pick is on the table, and with eight teams now, as you say, bidding for a new coach, that might be something to at least consider. And although, you know, I like John as the head coach, it's, it's worth considering moving forward, you know, as we, we get further into this. Now, you did a piece on The Athletic with Jimmy Smith recently, and I just want, I wanted to talk about that a little bit. You know, what Jimmy's had to go through this year to get back into playing shape, and he had a great game yesterday. Talk about that a little bit, if you could, for us, Jeff, and talk about what you think the future holds for Jimmy. Yeah, you know, I think when we saw him and what was that tone? Was that the, that was the Saints game, I think, where he just it may have been the worst game of his career. I mean, and uh, look, I think Jimmy Smith more than anything has really grown up in that locker room. I'm, I'm going to stay away from the off the field stuff. He's had some trouble there. I'm not with him off the field, so I'm not going to come out and talk about how how mature he is and how better he is. I, I frankly don't have a good feel for that. People speak very highly about the changes he's made in his life. Hopefully that's true. Good for him. But he stood up after that Saints game and I said, and, and he said, I lost the game for you guys. Uh, and furthermore, he said, I beat myself. I didn't give myself a chance to have a good game because I frankly didn't have enough confidence to go out and cover Michael Thomas. I, I was, it was in my head that I wasn't yet ready for that assignment. And sure enough, when the game kind of went down, he got called for a couple penalties and it snowballed. I think Jimmy Smith has really grown as a leader. I think he's taken accountability. And, uh, you know, I think he sort of knows who he is now. He's more of a pro and he knows better how to get ready for the game. I mentioned it yesterday, Tony, to another reporter in the press box. Jimmy Smith is now out there um, about two and a half hours before each game running through an elaborate set of uh, workouts and pregame stuff. He works out with the receivers. He tracks balls. He does this branding workout with Brandon Carr um, that just started in the last seven, eight weeks. They do it before every practice. Um, and Carr is a great role model for, for Jimmy to emulate just with his durability. And nobody knows how to prepare for a football game better than Brandon Carr. And Jimmy's really embraced this. I think he knows his future is in doubt. But I think also Jimmy Smith knows he's playing for 31 other teams. Uh, you know, uh, if, if he's not back, and it's tough to imagine he is back with that salary cap number, um, I think he, you know, he knows there's going to be other teams. He's not ready to quit. He's, what, he's 30 years old. I think we've all seen in the last five, six games that Jimmy Smith is still an impact cornerback when he's right. But he has to be right health-wise, and he has to be right confidence-wise. And, and that's where we've seen the biggest steps. He's healthy. He's about a year removed now. Uh, he's a little over a year. That torn Achilles happened in mid-December. I think we were all surprised how quickly he came back, and that's to his credit. But he wasn't fully ready. That, that's not an easy injury to come back from. And we're seeing him. He's a lot more healthy. He's a lot more confident in how he can do and, and his preparation. He feels like he's doing the right things, and, and I think that's carried over. And look, 
Um, I would be, I don't know that I'd pay him that money, uh, Tony. He seems to be one of the more obvious salary cap, but I would try somehow to get him to stay. And Jimmy's very loyal to the Ravens. He knows how they stood by him. I'm not saying he would because there's going to be a team willing to pay him. And I'm sure Drew Rosenhaus would not be uh, having a hard time drumming up interest in him. But I'd at least try to get him to stay. I can see them moving on at that number. But I think you have to try. Everyone just saying, you know, just cut Carr and Smith and let's roll. I think we're forgetting about all the problems they've had finding number two and number three cornerbacks. uh, And and they could really – you don't want to leave yourself short there. Speaking of the cornerbacks and and the secondary, Jeff – they had a lot of breakdowns yesterday. They had yeah. you know, Perryman was wide open for a touchdown, blew right past Tavon Young. Then you had Landry, or he had one bounce off his face mask, and another one he was wide open and took it in for a touchdown. I mean, the one that bounced off his face mask was right after the fumble. That could have gone for a 93-yard touchdown. So what did they talk about that at all, those, those communication breakdowns in the secondary during, uh, in the locker room yesterday? Yeah, yeah. I talked to Weddle about it. I talked to Don Wink Martindale a little bit about it. Um, you know, Tavon Young fell on the sword on the one. Um, I, the the Landry one, uh, I, I didn't – I'm talking about the Landry touchdown. The other one was, uh, I think, a, another safety error where it hit off his helmet. Then that should have been a 93-yard touchdown uh, because Mosley was running with him for a little while, looked back, and there was no safety there. Um, the, the Landry touchdown was on, uh, my understanding was, was on, um, Tavon, um, was on Tony Jefferson and the, the Perryman touchdown was on Tavon Young. Um, Tavon Young wore it. He, he, he thought he was going to have help. He didn't. Um, Jefferson, I think, uh, picked up the wrong guy on the other one was the situation, but that's as vulnerable as we've seen the secondary look in a long time. I mean, even when they've given up some plays, it's mostly just people making plays on them. There was way too many guys running free, and, and they have to shore that up. I, I think that that was a very much concern. Uh, Eric Weddle said that they played stupid at times yesterday. Uh, I think uh, Mayfield was a little bit in their head. A lot of guys were getting caught peeking in the backfield a little bit. They were so worried about Mayfield extending plays and getting out of the pocket rather than just paying attention to their assignment. But that needs to be shored up because we're, we're going to see a pretty motivated Chargers team that's listened for 10 days or two weeks now how the Ravens kicked their butt and their defense had their way with them on national TV. So uh, that, that, that performance on the secondary brought back some flashbacks uh, to some you know, recent Ravens defenses, and uh, they, they don't want that. And I thought Marlon Humphrey played probably his worst game of the season too. Uh, he, Mayfield was targeting him all the time. Yeah, I, I noticed that too. I thought he did have a really poor game. And right on the heels of the media naming him the team's MVP, the award yeah. he, he didn't accept. Uh, just curiosity, how did you guys take that when he chose not to accept that award because he was going to stick with his team? He didn't want to be singled out. Um, I didn't like it, Tony, just to be quite honest. Uh, and I got ripped on Twitter for it uh, because, you know, they were saying – you know, look, I'm I get it. Yeah, you know, I've been around long enough. I'm not making this about me or other media members. Um, I, I don't want to act like anybody owes us anything. So let's get that straight out. But I thought it would have been pretty easy for Marlon Humphrey just to come out 
accept the award and just say, look, guys, I don't feel comfortable doing this. Uh, I don't think I'm the MVP. I think our whole defense is the MVP. So uh, I'm going to give this, uh, if, if all's okay with you, I'm going to give this award to the rest of uh, my defensive teammates. And there's no actual award. It's more name recognition. So it's not like he's handing over a trophy. But you know what I mean. I, I If he said I'd prefer, but it, to, you know, to do that and he had a PR director uh, kind of go to the podium and, and explain it and after you know some people had groveled with him just to go up there um you know i think marlin's when he's engaged in an interview he's as good of an interview as there is in their locker room other times i i feel like he doesn't feel like it or it, it's not something that's on his agenda to do um i think it's all part of the maturity process um i have no problem with his choice if that was indeed his sentiment um, but I, to me, it didn't come off like that. It came off of, I, I, I didn't, you know, it's whatever. I, I have bigger fish to fry at the moment and, uh, uh, whatever. I, I just, I didn't like it. And, and, you know, uh, Luke Jones from NST, uh, put on a nice little blazer, prepared a little speech. Um, and, uh, it, it would have been nice if he gave a chance to give Marlon the, the award he richly deserved, uh, and, and give him the recognition. But, um, you know, I, I, and I don't think they may not say it publicly, but I don't think PR liked it too much. And I certainly know there's some defensive players that didn't think it was that great of a move. Uh, I mean, so, um, you know, he'll, he'll get it, you know, he'll, he's, Marlon's a smart guy. He's a very good player. He's going to be a good player in a long, for a long time. This isn't a big deal, and I'm not making out to be a big deal. I didn't even write a word about it other than responding to a couple of tweets. Uh, but I, I think uh, I think that if he had that over, I think he would probably just go up and say, look, I can't accept this, but I appreciate the recognition. Uh, our whole defense is the MVPs. That would have been pretty easy. It would have taken 90 seconds, and everyone would have moved on with their day. We're speaking with Jeff Zarebeck from The Athletic. Jeff, a couple of guys that are getting a little long in the tooth for the Ravens, certainly going to be Ring of Honor guys. Perhaps both will be Hall of Famers, Terrell Suggs and Marshall Yonda. Where do you see them beyond the 2018 season? Ooh, those are the two questions. Um, Suggs clearly wants to play. He clearly feels like he has another, you know, couple years left. But... At some point, it's not even like Terrell Suggs can still play like as a situational rusher. He's still very good against the run. Um, he's not going to be that high impact every down pass rusher anymore. The question I think Eric DaCosta is going to have to ask is, do we have to at some point turn over the leadership of this defense and this team? Suggs is still going to be the headliner as long as he's there, even if he's back in a one-year modest deal. Uh, the defensive players are still going to look towards him. He's still going to be the guy out there in clutch situations. Do you have to move on at, at some point and just say, look, it's tough. We know he can still play. He's a great Raven, uh, but it, we're moving in a new direction. It's time for a new era of Ravens defensive football. Um, I think that's his question that has to be asked. I don't think Suggs is going to want a lot of money. I think Suggs is playing for the Hall of Fame right now and for the camaraderie and for wins. Um, I, I think all those things come to factor. I think he would love to be. I can't see Terrell Suggs embracing a situational pass rush role in Indianapolis or Miami or name your whatever team. It just seems to be he's meant to retire a Raven, um, kind of like Ed Reed should have and, and all that. And you know, but we'll see. He still wants to play, and, and they're going to have to make a tough decision. If Tyus Bowser and Till Williams have given him anything, 
then that would be an easier decision to move on from him. But they're in a position this offseason, Tony, especially if Zadarius Smith leaves, and I can't see them paying him big bucks that he's going to get, where they're going to need to add another bookend pass rusher, and that's going to be a top three need. Um, as for Yonda, the situation is totally going to be in his hands, and, and I think uh, it would not surprise me if he decides to retire. It was interesting. He was out on the field uh, long at, after the game last night while I was typing in the press box. Uh, you know, his kids, I think, were out there running around. Awesome scene. Uh, Yonda's sort of he's been in he's been a little more introspective this year which makes you wonder uh, but it's going to be his call uh, whether he wants to keep playing at his number if I'm the Ravens I bring him back especially you want him helping out you want him helping out the young tackle uh, little Zeus you want him in front of Lamar Jackson I just don't know how much longer he wants to play Tony I think Suggs is a more of a Ravens decision I think Yonda's more of a Yonda decision good point Last question for you, Jeff. Any injuries to be concerned about from yesterday's game against the Browns? I know that Chris Moore was taken out yeah. of the game. They put Snead and then they put Montgomery in there to return kickoffs. But you know, how serious is that injury? I, you know, I, that's a big question. Ask Carball today. I don't think he'll get into it. I think the injury information will be even more tight uh, given um, you know the stakes this week. But I, you know. It kind of got taken by surprise. There was no announcement up in the press box. Usually they announce when a player leaves. All of a sudden, I just saw Willie Sneed back there for the kick. I started looking around, and he wasn't – Moore wasn't on the sideline. Um, I texted a couple people. I tried to get some information, and a couple people said the same as me. They didn't even realize he was hurt until they wondered why he wasn't back returning kicks. So uh, I'm not sure the severity there, but that would be a, a, a pretty difficult injury. One, he's – sort of embraced that fourth receiver role, and he's become one of their best special teams players. So that one bears watching. Uh, Tavon Young every game deals with that groin, and it tightened up on him a little. Uh, I, I think Levine probably played more than they had hoped yesterday. And, of course, Anthony Levine, an unsung hero of this team, makes two pass breakups on the critical drive. But uh, Tavon Young, I think, did finish the game. But that's something they're just going to have to manage all game, uh, uh, all, you know, the rest of the way with him. It's just his groin's not going to be healthy until he gets extended rest. So those are the two main ones. I haven't heard any others yet. Um, but, uh, look, it, it's remarkably – they are remarkably healthy at this time of year. And fans say you're jinxing them. But stating a fact isn't a jinx. I mean, the, whatever – changes they've made or whatever decisions they've made and some of it's just luck i mean injuries don't discriminate some years you just get lucky uh it, it's it's been a, a bonus for them uh, their health of the team is a big reason why they're still preparing to play a football game this weekend jeff you made a big leap in 2018 joining the athletic i hope 2019 is equally as as successful for you and your family sounds good tony always enjoy talking to you i hope you and your family have a great and happy new year Appreciate that, Jeff. Same to you. Okay, we're going to take a short break. We're here on the Russell Street Report, when we come back, we're going to wrap things up. Why PMI? I get asked that question all the time, and I love answering it. I've been leading this team for 16 years, and PMI has been and remains an industry leader. We get all the support of an industry leader, national company, while managing our loan flow locally. Our realtor partners and our customers get a team committed to customer service. They also get a team that knows our local markets. We closed 2,300 loans last year and the future looks very, very bright. We love telling our story and would love to help you with your next transaction. Reach out to me or anyone on my team anytime. We'd love to help.
and welcome back to the Russell Street Report. I'm Tony Lombardi. So it's Festivus Maximus again here in Charm City. Every time that a John Harbaugh-led team has gone into the postseason, and this season marks the seventh time Harbaugh has punched the playoff dance card, the Ravens have won a playoff game. The rematch of the Ravens and Chargers is made even more interesting by the fact that the games are separated by just two weeks. So far, a lot of attention has been given to the fact that the Chargers have already seen Lamar Jackson, and consequently, that gives the Chargers an advantage somehow. But here's a thought. Hasn't the Ravens' offense also seen the Chargers' defense? Can they not adjust as well? Something to think about. And here's some more food for thought to sway your rooting interest in other playoff games. You will want to root for the Colts to beat the Texans, something they did in Houston back on December 9th. That would send the Colts to Kansas City to take on the top-seeded Chiefs who field the league's second-worst passing defense. The hot Andrew Luck could pull off the upset. Then let's assume the Ravens take care of business against the Chargers and follow that up with a successful business trip to New England. If it all goes down that way, the Ravens, a team many had written off during their bye, myself included, would host the AFC Championship game at the bank on Sunday, January 20th at 6.45 p.m. It sounds crazy, folks, I know, but it's been a crazy NFL season, so anything is possible. But first things first. A couple of weeks ago, I wrote about it on Russell Street Report and discussed it here on Fanimal Radio that so much attention was being placed on Lamar Jackson in the Ravens game against the Chargers in L.A., but all along, I felt that the game would be won and lost based upon how the Ravens defended Phillip Rivers. The Ravens' defense won that battle, and consequently, the game. I don't think this week is any different. The Chargers' offense is in a bit of a funk lately, as is Rivers, who has thrown, listen to this, an interception on his team's opening possession for three straight games. Now, according to ESPN stats and information, the last quarterback to do that was Josh Freeman in 2009. After throwing just six interceptions in his first 14 games, Rivers has six in his past three. That could be the result of pressure. I can see the Chargers offensive line making some adjustments. But it won't be easy in-game with the raucous crowd at M&T Bank Stadium. I do have a few concerns about the Ravens' secondary, specifically Tony Jefferson, who just might have a bullseye on his back. Rivers should have a slightly better game, but in the end, I see the Ravens doing a better job protecting the football, keeping Rivers on the sidelines, and wearing down a smallish Chargers front seven. After the Colts knock off the Texans, it will be... Hey, New England, here come the Ravens, after the good guys send Rivers home, still in search of his first Super Bowl appearance. Let's make it Ravens 27, Chargers 21. That's it for our show today, folks. We'll be back doing it audio and video versions next week. Special thanks to Jeff Zarebeck from The Athletic for joining us, and of course, thanks to all of you listening. Here's to a great start to 2019.